0: This is a Stimulus Network podcast. Hello, I'm Alice Gray and welcome to another episode of Inside the Petri Dish, the podcast that puts science under the microscope. Given the unprecedented circumstances we are currently facing, our podcast is bringing you a number of Covid special episodes with interviews with experts about the pandemic. From the Ebola epidemic to the COVID-19 pandemic, Dr Janet Scott has been researching the long-term effects of viral infections. She joins us in this episode to talk about how researchers have been preparing for COVID-19 since 2013 and how she's been researching the impacts of long COVID. The protocol that we are collecting data for, for COVID-19, was actually written 2012-2013. We've had it ready to go since then. We are preppers, if you like. We spend a lot of time preparing protocols that never get used for disasters that may never happen. But epidemics have always happened, and this isn't the first and it won't be the last. My name's Janet Scott. I work at the Centre for Virus Research in Glasgow. I am particularly interested in post-viral syndromes and in antiviral drugs. So in in that capacity for COVID-19, I've been looking at what happens to people after they recover from their initial illness. So I I first got interested in post-viral syndromes. When I was working in the Ebola outbreak, I I was there doing um, clinical trials. One of those involved Ebola survivors who had recovered, donating plasma. And as a result of that, I got to examine them clinically and to find out what uh, problems they were having. They, they were actually having quite a number or quite a range of different issues and also had a lot of problems with accessing health care because people were scared that they might... Uh, still be infectious with Ebola, didn't want to have them in their in their clinics. So uh, we, I ended up with Sierra Leone and colleagues um, setting up a clinic to look after these people um, and as a result of which we started to study um, post-Ebola syndrome um, and that, that really got me interested in, in post viral syndromes uh, more generally. In the end, our clinic recruited uh, 500 Ebola survivors which is about 10% of Sierra Leone's Ebola survivors And they, as I said, suffer from a range of things, mainly though it's a pain syndrome, headache, ocular problems, musculoskeletal pain, really quite debilitating. Also, neurological problems, uh, quite serious problems like stroke. 80% of them suffered from moderate um, disabilities as a result of their post-Ebola syndrome. Um, And also, of course, the psychosocial problems, depression, anxiety and PTSD, When back in the UK, working here uh, as a clinician and also as a researcher, the pandemic hits us in Scotland, it's obvious for me to start looking at what might happen um, after people recover from COVID. There are a lot of people working on acute COVID, but what happens after you recover? people are talking about different things with long COVID. It's it's quite anecdotal at present, although there are some studies, particularly this a, a, a small but really nice one from Italy, um, that are documenting what people are still suffering from maybe a month, three months, six months after their initial illness. In the absence of formal data, it's quite hard to tell exactly. Everybody's story is a little different. But it looks to me like a, a post-viral syndrome. So what we're talking about with COVID is a respiratory virus. So we're talking about continued breathlessness, even after you've apparently got better from COVID-19. There could be neurological problems like strokes. There could be cardiac problems like heart attacks. You you could just have a, a colossal fatigue. You, you really just can't move. People describe it as like a, a muscle fatigue. That actually happens after most serious illness, but it, it really, it it should lift, you know, if it's not lifting after sort of three to six months, then we're into a, a more long-term problem. People are reporting, you may have heard of COVID toes, where people are reporting kind of purpley toes. It, it's it's a multi-system disease, and the problems you have in the longer term can also be multi-system. If we just take the respiratory part, um, if you have a viral pneumonia, that can result in some several long-term problems. So. You could have scarring on your lungs, so that's lung fibrosis. So that does not go away immediately, okay? And in fact, it can be a longer-term problem. And it can turn into other issues like bron- broncholitis or bronchiectasis. One of the concerns that has been raised by patients is that the fatigue they're feeling will not lift. Now, I really hope that it will do. But we know that there is a syndrome that many people suffer from called chronic fatigue syndrome, where that fatigue appears not to live. And we're talking after four to six months, not just after a couple of weeks. And that that's an area that, that interests me, uh, because I think uh, COVID-19 maybe ironically gives us a, an opportunity to study this phenomena that we don't normally have. A small percentage of the population get chronic fatigue syndrome. We know that they're suffering, and it comes with a lot of anxiety and sometimes pain. We know that they weren't always like this, so they can be quite active people. Famously, Florence Nightingale had chronic fatigue syndrome, and and then something happens, and then they're not that active person that they were. So, what has turned this active person into this not active person? Um. There are a lot of theories. One of those theories is that it is an infectious or a viral insult or an infection of some description. Something like glandular fever or Lyme disease. Many people come to clinic, not months after this has happened to them, but years, years after this has happened to them. And it's really hard to look back into the past and work out that caused it. We can speculate, but we can't know. COVID-19, we have so many people who have the same virus that now is an opportunity to follow people up from the beginning and see what percentage of them develop chronic fatigue syndrome. Now, not all long-term fatigue is chronic fatigue syndrome. We have to look at the the whole picture. I, I fear that maybe in the anecdotes or on TV, a lot of people are talking about chronic fatigue and lumping all fatigue into this. It's not. There are lots of things that can make you truly knackered and for a long time. With COVID-19, if we see that people have had the virus and then a lot of people get chronic fatigue syndrome, then that might give us an opportunity, first of all, to follow people from the beginning and to study not only COVID-19 but also chronic fatigue syndrome. Because of my experience with Ebola, we started off really with our basic outline from Ebola, but it has moved quite a long way from there. The two viruses are extremely different and the post-COVID is quite different from post-Ebola syndrome. We have developed in collaboration with a big consortium called the SARIC and also with WHO um, a very short questionnaire just to get a preliminary idea of how people are suffering and how many people are uh, impacted by this one of the things that can happen after a virus is you can feel extremely tired your muscles can ache the last thing you need is pages and pages and pages of a questionnaire to fill in it's actually quite hard because we want to ask so many questions there are so many things that people are telling us that they're suffering from anecdotally and on facebook but really, we, we need some data. We need to uh, work out, you know, how many people is this impacting and what are the main issues? But the main questionnaire can be done in under 10 minutes and it covers who you are and, and a little bit about what your initial disease was like, whether you were in hospital, what kind of symptoms you're still suffering from, and it's a big list of symptoms, how disabled that's making you in your day-to-day life, whether you can get up, wash, dress, if you've got problems with concentration, how that's impacting you, psychologically, anxiety, depression, how it's impacting how you can get to work. Have you lost your job over this? And how how fatigued you are, how much pain you're in. We're sending this questionnaire out to, in the UK, to everybody who's consented to be followed up. So there are a group of people who've been already studied when they were in hospital. And some of those people have kindly consented that we contact them after they leave hospital almost exactly the same questionnaire is being used by our collaborators in other countries. ISARA is collecting information about COVID-19 in, I think at last count, 42 countries, 600 sites. I know our Russian colleagues are translating the questionnaire into Russian, and likewise in Italy, and the more information we can gather from different places, I think the more complete the picture we'll we'll get. It should give us a, a very brief outline of the main aspects of Long Covid. And because we're running it, the same questionnaire in lots of different countries, we should be able to see where there are similarities between different communities and and differences with different communities as well. Um, Also, we can target different groups from this. So, for example, if we have people who report that they're, you know, three months after they recovered, they're still feeling breathless. We we need to look into that and find out where that breathlessness is coming from and why. The basic questionnaire doesn't give us the real nitty gritty, but it does mean that we can direct people in the right direction. I've actually uh, I've joined another consortium now called Post COVID, uh, which is going to be looking at much more detail at uh, long COVID. All the same information as in the short questionnaire will be asked in this bigger study, but also a lot more information and a lot more samples will be asked, blood samples, sputum samples, those types of things. ISARIC is a consortium that was set up actually after the SARS outbreak, I think it was 2009, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which is another coronavirus, so not dissimilar to, to COVID. In the aftermath of that, it was felt that more coordination and more data harmonisation so that Everybody who's collecting little pockets of data, if we could just put all our data together, we could really make something meaningful. So um, ISARIC was born out of that, and it's a network of research networks. There are ISARIC members all over the planet. So when when Zika happened in Brazil, the people researching that in Brazil were ISARIC network members and they came to the ASARIC meeting and said we're seeing this awful thing in new-born babies and they were able to draw from the health and experience from the rest of the consortium. So we had, we've had SARS and we've had MERS, both of them coronaviruses. So um, a group of researchers decided that what we needed was a protocol, a way of tackling a new unknown virus which would collect information about that disease. And we need it written and ready. Not that it happens and then you're writing it. So it's written and ready and agreed with all the partners. It's got ethical permission, and then you just mothball it and it's ready to roll. And those are called preparedness protocols. And they wrote the preparedness protocol, the clinical characterisation protocol (CCP). They wrote that and it got ethical permission in 2013. So the protocol that we are collecting data for for SARS for COVID-19 was actually written 2012-2013. We've had it ready to go since then. We are preppers, if you like. We spend a lot of time preparing protocols that never get used for disasters that may never happen. But epidemics have always happened. And this isn't the first and it won't be the last. COVID-19, we've got very few cases in Scotland at the moment, but it's still out there. I see colleagues and partners in other parts of the world um, at all different parts of their outbreaks. Bits of Africa just beginning, unfortunately. Um, New Zealand clearly out the other side and uh, done superbly well. The WHO says none of us are out of this until we're all out of this. So we all have to uh, stay safe, keep our eye on the ball. Um, do what we can to um to get through this.